Welcome back to another episode of the podcast Rami Umptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I am the host. Today's episode is called We Do Not Seek Apologies. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. The subject that I want to chat about today is uh, a famous quote by Dallin H. Oaks about apologies. And I think there are a lot of implications both about what he is saying and what he is not saying in this quote from the Salt Lake Tribune article. And then um, also from the follow-up interview that he and Christofferson did. The interview was on Trib Talk, which I think is Tribune Talk. The interview was conducted by Jennifer Napier Pierce. And this is back from January 29th of 2015. So old news. I think there's some really interesting concepts that are at play just barely below the surface of this conversation. Before I get too far into that, I want to put in that shameless self plug. So I'll be quick about it. If this podcast is something that you enjoy, you find value in the content that I'm producing, please leave a review on whatever podcast streaming service you're using. Send me a comment, write me a message. And if you're financially able, consider becoming a monthly recurring donor. There's a link in the show notes for that. You can go to ramiumptumruminations.org and uh, click the donate button. Or if you're finding this on the Mormon discussion website, if you're doing the the donate, there's a Dropbox where you can specify which podcast you're donating to. This quote from Dallin H. Oaks that that gets thrown around quite a bit is in two parts. And at first, first, there was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune back in January of 2015, where he was discussing with Elder Christofferson and the Salt Lake Tribune, and they were talking about LGBTQ plus members of the church. There were some hopeful things that were said in the interview. Um, I think they were trying to push for more acceptance. So I'll read a few of the quotes from that article. It's really interesting. I'll put a, a link to the article in the show notes as well. Elder Christofferson is quoted as having said, the way it's written here is it starts out with the writer of this article paraphrasing, and then they jump into a quote. He says, the hope is that the LGBT, LGBT Mormons will feel valued by their religious community, he said, so they don't feel that they have to find fulfillment elsewhere or that they can't find love, brotherhood, and sisterhood within the church. Then the interviewer asked, what does the LDS church think of of members who back same-sex marriage? Elder Christofferson responds by saying, there hasn't been any litmus test or standard imposed that that you couldn't support that if you want to support it. If that's your belief, and you think it's right. Any Latter-day Saint can have a belief on either side of this issue, he said. That's not uncommon. I think it's a step in the right direction, at least when they were, were, when they were making this, where they're saying that members can, can think for themselves. <laughs> but on the other hand, this is someone who professes to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't he be able to say, this is where Jesus stands on the issue? 
anyway, that's just a thought that pops into my head as I'm reading this. And I, I didn't mean to go too far into this article because I'm trying to talk about something else. But the, it's it's definitely something worth reading. And the interview is is uh, worth watching because it's uh, it's a fascinating glimpse into into the top 15's view on the LGBTQ plus members of the church. Then the article says, but Oaks, a former Utah Supreme Court justice, wasn't sure apologizing for past language on homosexuality would be advisable. I know that the history, and this is quoting uh, Elder Oaks, I know that the history of the church is not to seek apologies or to give them, Oaks said in an interview. We sometimes look back on issues and say, maybe that was counterproductive for what we wish to achieve, but we look forward and not backward. The church doesn't seek apologies, he said, and we don't give them. This phrase stands out to me because it's it's not something that you would imagine or put on the lips of a loving God. Contrast that sentiment to Matthew 18, 21 and 22, where you have the passage of Peter asking, asking Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive someone? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. There seems to be an inconsistency in tone here when comparing it directly to the words of Christ in so many instances. I would like to point out some interesting irony. In the new Come Follow Me manuals, there's one directed specifically to the nursery kids. And it's lesson 16 in Behold Your Little Ones. And it's the lesson is called, I Will Say I'm Sorry. In the lesson, it cites James 5, 16, and it, it says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So at least in the um, correlation department where they're putting these manuals together and creating the intended lessons for the, the children in the church, they are aware that apologies are important. But we'll ignore, we'll ignore this little bit that I cited here, and we'll jump to Elder Oaks's response to the backlash from this, this phrase. And this came from a follow-up interview done on Trib Talk by Jennifer Napier Pierce. And here's what Elder Oaks said in response to, to some of the backlash. He says, I'm not aware that the word apology appears anywhere in the scriptures. Bible or Book of Mormon, the word apology contains a lot of connotations in it and a lot of significance. We do not seek apologies. When our temple was desecrated in California, when people were fired and intimidated, when a lot of other coercive measures were used, we sought no apology. That's what I mean by saying we don't seek apology. We think that the best way to solve these problems is not a formal statement of words that that an apology consists of, but talking about principles and goodwill among contending viewpoints. There's a lot here that I want to talk about, so we'll break it down line by line. And I, one of the interesting things, had I been in the interview, I would have had a couple of follow-up questions for this. As I go through the breakdown, I'll, I'll mention some of the questions that I, that I might have asked had I been sitting in the room with Elder Oaks at the time. So this first part, it says, I'm not aware that the word apology appears anywhere in the scriptures, Bible or Book of Mormon. He's saying, since God did not tell me specifically to apologize, it must not be something I'm supposed to do. 
I do want to make a quick mention of the divine command theory that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and specifically in reference to the Euthyphro dilemma. Go listen to episode 66. That will cover the basics of, of what we're talking here. But for a very quick recap, the Euthyphro dilemma is a dilemma about the source of morality. And it asks the question, are right actions good because God commands them? Or are right actions commanded by God because they are good? Each way someone would answer this question kind of has different implications. The first week I talked a little bit about some of the doctrine within the church and how it leads me to believe that under the theology, it would be the latter. It would be right actions are commanded by God because those right actions are good. So morality would exist outside of God. And then in the following week, I talked about the happiness letter and I demonstrated that the exact opposite is also taught within the church. And that is that right actions are good because God commands them. In other words, that right and wrong are determined by God and subject to change when God says so. So the reason I'm bringing it up here is because I think it's fascinating. Is this, this statement that Elder Oaks is saying right here, there's nowhere in the scriptures that says we're supposed to apologize. Therefore, God has never commanded me to apologize. Apologizing is not good. Is that the statement that Elder Oaks is trying to say here? Or could apologizing be good even if God has never said anything on the subject? which I already demonstrated quickly is not the case, but the question still stands. Could apologizing be good even if God has never said anything on the subject? And correct me if I'm wrong, and this, this would be the question that I would ask, something along these lines. I would say, does God need to command his children to do every good thing? The implication being that giving an apology is a good thing. And then I would follow it up with <laughs> Doctrine and Covenants. It's uh, uh, 5826, Scripture Mastery for those out there. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Using what Elder Oaks has said here, and citing just a couple of scriptures, even if God never once told any of his children to apologize for anything does not mean that it's not something that we should do. If you harm another individual, you should apologize for it. That's showing empathy and love to your fellow human beings. Now I'm going to go back to, <laughs> I know that, that was a long, long uh, chat on just one sentence, but I'm going to go back to what he was saying. He says, the word apology contains a lot of connotations in it and a lot of significance. For me, this is the key to why he's saying that they can't apologize. What is the connotation of apologizing? It would imply that they were wrong. If the leaders came out and said, we are sorry for the past policies that harmed many people, or in the future, if they change current policies that are harming people, and, and they make an apology for what's harming people today. And they say, look, in the past, we made poor choices and we apologize for them. That is them recognizing that they made a mistake or recognizing that they did something wrong. And the connotation is that they 
are not perfectly in line with the will of God. If God is perfect and never wrong and and always seeks to do the most good in the world, and they branch away from that and they make an apology, they are recognizing or admitting to the fact that they are not perfect. And that's not something that they are apparently willing to do. My problem with the rest of this is that Elder Oaks is conflating the idea of seeking seeking an apology and giving an apology as the same ideas. And they're really not. When he says that they don't seek apologies, that's great. They're not going to go and and prosecute or persecute anyone that harmed them in the past. Cool. I think that shows a level of maturity that that one could respect. Them forgiving freely without needing to receive an apology. But their ability to forgive someone and not seek out an apology bears no weight on the need for them to apologize for harms that they have done. Just because they don't seek an apology does not mean they should not give an apology. There's an interesting concept in Western culture that turns a lot of relationships into transactional affairs. And the way we look at apologies and forgiveness is very transactional. Perhaps that's the angle that he's trying to go here with this statement. And there's, there's a lot that I want to say about that. I'm, I'm planning an episode uh, in the very near future where I'll talk about that subject specifically with regards to repentance and the transactional nature of repentance and salvation. What he says here at the end, I think is interesting. We think the best way to solve these problems is not a formal state statement of words that an apology consists of, but talking about principles and goodwill among contending viewpoints. So in this context, where Elder Oaks is talking about not offering apologies, they're specifically talking about the LGBTQ members of the church and their policies of exclusion um, to those members of the church. Interesting to me, and I, I it just has always bothered me when we talk about the policy of exclusion and then the then the reversal of this policy of exclusion. The LGBTQ plus members of the church are still excluded from full benefits within the church. And so it when we talk about the reversal, in my mind, I always want to make sure I always want to make sure that it's clear that what was reversed was one small piece of this exclusionary of these exclusionary practices. But the broader exclusion of the LGBTQ plus members is still widely practiced. Anyway, that was a tangent. Sorry. So he's he's talking specifically about the LGBTQ plus community. He's not referring to polygamy. He's not referring to he's not referring to the Mountain Meadows massacre. He's not referring to any of the things that the church has done wrong in the past. He's speaking about what the church is doing wrong today and these contending viewpoints he's saying that their viewpoint is that these members need to be excluded he's wanting to promote goodwill among these contending viewpoints that's the major problem that i see with this quote 
Yes, the don't apologize is big. It's huge. But what he's saying here is he wants to be allowed to continue with his homophobic ideas. He's saying we don't need to apologize, but we need to have goodwill among contending viewpoints. And these contending viewpoints are homophobia and equality for all. What he's arguing for is he wants to maintain homophobia within the doctrines of the church. And that is something I have a problem with. As I said, I would have had a few follow-up questions. Would the church ever consider offering an apology for the Mountain Meadows Massacre or for other instances where the church has done significant harm to other people? You could... um, substitute mountains, mountain meadows for any sort of thing, the priesthood ban, whatever it is. And then it would be interesting to see what the response to that would be, if it would change at all from what was said here. To finish this off and, and tie off his line of uh, reasoning on the end part of this, I'm going to cite back to the article because in the article he explained this idea a little bit more. And this is right at the end of the Salt Lake Tribune article. It says, the teaching effort that we've engaged in today, Elder Oak said, is a very important part of what we hope our members will hear in the way of being more civil with those who disagree with us on some fundamental principles and also more firm in insisting our right to hold our views. Two things. He referred to the exclusionary policies on the LGBTQ plus members principles, not doctrines. My response to this is simply that you can respect an individual while not offering respect to their ideas. I can respect Elder Oaks and Elder Oaks's right to hold whatever ideas in his mind that he sees fit, but the church has no power to control the response of the world to their practices that cause harm. This is why there is a significant social pushback on the church whenever they do something harmful. Yes, they have they are in the power to make whatever choices they want, good and bad, but they can't control the response to those choices. Let's let's say every member of the church takes this idea to heart that we do not seek apologies and we do not offer them. Members of the LDS church are encouraged to follow the example of their their prophet and the apostles. If this advice to never apologize were applied to other aspects of our life, what sort of impact would that have? What if I never apologized to my spouse again when I do something wrong? Because inevitably, I'll make some sort of stupid choice in the future and have to apologize. I did it last night. <laughs> and I had to apologize this morning. What if my children? What if, what if I do something dumb and I hurt their feelings or I am... I make some sort of mistake down the road, which inevitably will happen. What if I just never apologized for that? This sort of behavior is not acceptable. When we apologize, we take ownership of our mistakes and we work towards correcting them. This sort of example is unacceptable. And I know typically my episodes are a bit more kind and accepting of believers of the church. But I don't think this is something, I don't think this idea, I don't think this quote from Elder Oaks is something that holds any water for someone who is going to profess to be a follower of Christ. 
because it is not a Christ-like attitude. I don't mean any ill will to Elder Oaks with this. We all make mistakes, and we all say stupid things occasionally, and we all occasionally apologize for them. Thanks for listening to the episode today. When this quote is discussed, it's usually discussed outside of the context from when it came. It came in a discussion around exclusionary policies to the LGBTQ plus members. And so I think it's important that when we bring this up, that that is discussed alongside it. Because the whole idea of this quote and the whole point of this was two apostles defending their right to hold a viewpoint of exclusion. Whether you believe that they're apostles or not, that's what they were trying to do. As I've said the past couple of weeks, we've got a, I'm coming down to Salt Lake City. This will be the second to last week of September of 2022. So I'll, I'll post details of the, of the meetup um, in the episode that comes out next week. And then also check Facebook. I'll post some information about it there too. I look forward to meeting some of the listeners and chatting with you, getting to know you a little bit better. So wherever you find yourself out there today, I'd say I'm running out of ideas of uh, (laughs) random things to say, but honestly, I just say the first thing that pops into my head. So wherever you find yourself out there today, heading off to pick your kids up from school, I hope that you have an excellent day.